us at one time or another, I think, have felt separated or, or maybe rejected or isolated from folks or from something. Uh, when I think about that, I flash back to school. I don't know if the rest of you do, but school is a really wonderful place where you can feel left out. <laughs> where you can feel out, isn't that awful? Where you can feel like an outsider. Now, I know this will come as a surprise to most of you, but I was not and am not the most athletic of people. And, and, and so maybe some of you are like me. And, and uh, so a lot of things that happen at schools are on the playground and in physical education. That made me just break out in a cold sweat. You know, when they say, let's choose up sides, I just knew that I wasn't going to be the first one picked. And chances are I was going to be at the end of the line. I don't know if you've ever been there. I don't feel so sorry for me. Don't get out your violins. Everybody's has a story, something like that. You know, in Indiana, you're supposed to play basketball. So in sixth grade, I decided that, you know, I should try out for the team. And wonder of wonders, I actually made the team. I think they had an awkward kid thing they had to have, you know. <laughs> So they had to fill quotas, and so I was the awkward kid. Uh, it's not because of my athletic ability, and uh, I was on the B team of the sixth grade, and I was the last person on the bench. And it was so bad that they didn't even have, they just had a jersey, they didn't have shorts. So I had to bring my own shorts. It's, it's very sad. And, and uh, so here I am practicing games, and here I'm sitting at the end of the bench, and I pray, I'm very religious about this, I say, Please, Lord, do not let them put me in this game. <laughs> that will just further isolate me from everybody else. Well, God did not answer my prayer. And I was in at least one time that I recall. It's so traumatic that I still remember. Now, it's no bad thing. I mean, I didn't, I just then prayed, God, please don't let them pass me the ball because I don't have anything to do with that. And so all I did was run around and put my hands up and finally it was over. Thankfully it was over. And I've never experienced anything in athletics really since then. Now if they had a, a, like a spelling bee team or a, you know, a history geek team, I could have done pretty well on that, but they just didn't do that in the olden days. So uh, I, I felt a little left out. You know, school's a good place to feel the inside outsider kind of thing, the in crowd and the out crowd kind of a thing. And maybe you felt that uh, as a kid. But you know, we still have that today. I mean, we have cliques and groups and we don't feel like we're belo uh, we belong someplace. And, you know, I think one of the places I noticed this lately is in traveling. Um, I don't know about you, but I don't, I don't buy first class tickets. I mean, I just can't. And so, I, I'm so, I just feel so sad when they call the the first class people up first. And then the business class people. And, and then it's me. And you know, no matter when we make our reservations, we're always the last seat by the bathroom in the back of the plane and it's going like this the whole time. And it's only about that wide. And so you, to make matters worse, you have to walk through first class. And they're sitting there, they got their blankets and their china and their glass and they're already being served things. Now you've been, some of you've been there, right? Now if you're in first place, I, you know, God bless you. But think about the rest of us. And then you walk through business class and their seats are a little wider, but there's, you know, it's, and then you get to your spot and it's, and then after they do the announcements and the, and the masks drop down and they show all that, what do they do up front? They close the curtain. 
you can't even see what goes on up there. And to make matters worse, if you have to go to the bathroom, even if it's an emergency, you can't go up there. You can only go back where all of us common people, I, I don't know if you feel that way, but sometimes, you know, that makes me feel like, man, I am talking about out crowd. I am way out. I think we all experience those feelings, some of us more than others. Some of you today uh, may be feeling a little, you know, I'm on the outside looking in, a, a number of different things, maybe even about your walk with God. I'm just not sure about that. Uh, and I hope this is a safe place where we haven't closed the curtain on you, where the curtain's open so that we can uh, present to you uh, what we believe is a, a, a great way, the only way to live. You know, in Jesus' time, the Jews felt themselves to be special insiders. They had the message from God, and uh, they had the temple, and in the temple was, you know, you get closer to the middle, you get closer to the Holy of Holies where nobody could go but the priest, but on the outside was what's called the, the court of the Gentiles, where people who were not Jews could come, but they couldn't go any farther, kind of like first-class barrier thing. And above the gate to go in for, for the Jews to go in, there was this inscription. i got to get it right. No foreigner may enter within the barricade which surrounds the sanctuary and enclosure. Now get this. Anyone who is caught so doing will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. Wow, that's a real welcome statement, isn't it? Can you imagine having that on our door out here? Hey, if you don't belong to our group, we can't guarantee your safety when you come in. But that was the way it was in Jesus' time. If you're not with us, being with us could be hazardous to your health. Now, God didn't intend it to be that way. Even from the very beginning, as he spoke to Abraham, he said, you will be a, 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 the father of a nation that will bless all other nations. But they never quite got that. They kept excluding those people who weren't like them and they became more and more exclusive and more and more knowing that they had everything right but we know that God accepts all people now do you remember the time when Jesus got really 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 mad in the temple when he saw this money changing going on and if you remember that story and he goes in and overthrows the all the tables of the money changers. Now, part of that reason was because the, the people selling were, were uh, really taking advantage of poor people, and the exchange rate for buying sacrifices was such that, that uh, they were really swindling people. That's part of the reason he was upset. But the other part was they had set up all of their booths and exchanges in the very place, the only place where Gentiles were welcome. He said this, the scriptures declare my temple will be called a place of prayer for all nations, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. You see, Jesus was opening up the kingdom of God to all nations, not just a select few. So today, our story comes from the book of Acts, the 10th chapter. A story of two men, Peter the apostle and Cornelius, a person who was not Jewish. And the bottom line for our story, in case you decide that this is enough already, is all people matter to God. All people matter to God. And Jesus is the one who can bring us together. Amen. Now, I don't have anything up on stage, on the screen. The, I didn't get the scripture passage, so we're going to old school today. This is a Bible. 
and if you've got if you've got one please open it and turn to Acts 10 there's some in the pew there I forgot to get the page number but you can probably find it uh, dust that thing off we're going to read some different passages there I'll make a few comments and an application and we'll be done so remember Peter is the apostle Peter is the proud ethnic heritage guy, the Jewish guy, the guy who is now living in a occupied country by these Romans who are taking over everything. And the story of Peter and Cornelius is a rather remarkable story in that God brings together two very, very different people from very different walks of life, but for a very important purpose. So if you found Acts 10, let's start with verse 1. On Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion, in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all of his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius! Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was the one, one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. Okay, Cornelius is a centurion. He's a Roman officer. Now, Romans are not generally the heroes of any story uh, in the Bible because they were the oppressors. They were the ones who were occupied the country. They were the ones who were overtaxing and all the things that we know about that. Anytime there's an occupying force, it's difficult for the people who are being occupied to have any good things to think about that occupying force. But apparently, Cornelius was different than most Roman soldiers. For one thing, we know that he was God-fearing and he was a generous man. He gave to those in need and he prayed. So he had begun to develop some spiritual habits and drawing closer to God. Apparently because he lived in Palestine, apparently because he was a community leader, some of the customs, some of the religion of the people uh, began to rub off on him and he began to seek God in some way. But more than that, he was kind, he was generous, perhaps very different than most centurions. They were very highly educated for soldiers, and they were also uh, very well respected and perhaps feared because of their power. But at any rate, because of what Cornelius was becoming, God appeared to him. God approached him in this vision or trance. Now let's stop there because some of you may be asking the question, well, does God do that to us today? Would God do that to me? Uh, and I'm not going to tell you today that that's impossible because with God all things are possible, okay? But let me tell you, it's not really happened to me. Uh, it's been more like pepperoni pizza's gotten me and I had a bad dream because of it. But it could happen. I'm not saying it can't. But when it happens, it's because God is up to something so different and so unusual that it's going to take something like a vision from God to knock some sense into somebody. And so the way you can tell if God is trying to reach you through anything, especially a dream, is how does it line up with really what God, the nature of God and the nature of Jesus, and then watch what happens after that. Are you placed in some circumstance where you're allowed to be God's person? If so, maybe God is trying to nudge you in that way. 
So whatever reason God has chosen Cornelius, it is because he is at least open to the God of Israel. And so look what he does. Because he's a good officer, he knows how to obey orders. And he sees this as something from God. And he says, okay, guys, here's what we need to do. He sends some of his best people off to find this Peter in a, in a, in a neighboring town. Now, let's go to the next part of the story, which is Peter's part of the story, starting in verse 9. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to, pl- to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. I, I always get uh, sleepy after a meal, not before, but Peter gets sleepy beforehand. While the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. Same kind of thing that happened maybe to Cornelius. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of this vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I am the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all Jewish people. A holy angel told him to have you come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into into the house to be his guests. Peter's vision, his trance was disturbing because it seemed to open up something that Peter as a good Jew would have never done. He kept kosher. He only ate clean things as prescribed in the law. This is one of the marks of his heritage. This is one of the things that made him special and separate. It kind of made the curtain closed between him and other people. And yet three times he gets this vision, this technicolor dream of all of the different kinds of animals that could be eaten. And the voice says, you know, take your pick. Take your pick. It's like going to one of those Brazilian steakhouses, you know. Have some pork. You know, don't just have lamb. And Peter doesn't know what to do about it. He says, I've never ever in my life not eaten kosher. And the voice says, what? Do not call anything impure that God has made. I should have had them put some echo on that part. Because this was probably like James Earl Jones type, Jones type of voice to get his attention. Because he's not going to do this if he's, if he's not sure it's from God. Basically, the, the, the voice says, if it's okay with God, it's okay with you. If God says it's okay, then you may kill any. It's, you know, and, and so he's thinking about this. What in the world does this mean? Remember what I said? If you're having these thoughts about what God wants you to do, watch what happens next. Or you're praying and you get some sort of an impression that maybe God is moving you somewhere. Watch what happens next. What happens next? The guys are at the doorstep calling for him. I mean, if this is not 
putting things together. You know, it doesn't take uh, rocket science to, to figure out that these are going together. But yet, even at that, a voice comes to Peter and says, there's guys at the door, go answer it. And he goes, and there they are. Now, the re- remarkable thing about the story is the very last verse of the thing that I read. What does he ask them to do? Come in and eat. Or have hospitality. Have a cup of tea. Whatever. Now, this is a remarkable thing because Jews and Gentiles don't associate. You don't bring somebody like that into your home. And yet, Peter is beginning to have some sense that something different is happening here to the point that they came in. Now, it says they left the next day. So, I wonder where these guys stayed. Did they actually stay at this house with Peter? And was Peter bold enough to ask the guy who was hosting him to make room for three more unclean people? I don't know. But nevertheless, this is a remarkable change of of way of thinking for Peter, who all of a sudden says, oh, come on in. Both Cornelius and Peter obey to the best of their ability what they hear God asking them to do. So we go on to the next part. Let me read verse 24, part of verse 23, and then verse 24 and 5. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa went along, probably to see what was happening, and maybe even to serve as bodyguards, because you just never know what's going to happen, especially at a centurion's house. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them, and had called together his relatives and close friends. See, Cornelius was so sure that this Peter, this man would come, that he invited everybody and said, they're going to be here probably tomorrow because of the day's travel. I want you to be here ready when they get here. They're all waiting. Talk about a captive audience. They're ready to hear. Peter enters the house. Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. Here we get the picture of this well-respected, perhaps feared, man of power, the centurion, bowing before a blue-collar Jewish fisherman. And, And even Peter can see this isn't right. And says, I'm just a person. Stand up. You know, when you cut us open, we all bleed red. We're not that much different. All of us have hopes and fears and dreams. All of us are searching for something more. And I think at this point, Peter is beginning to understand that there aren't insiders and outsiders. That everybody stands before God the same. So the rest of the story, I won't read all of it, but Peter begins to tell his story of his dream and, and um, God is showing him that nothing is unclean. And then Cornelius tells his story about the vision and how he sent for Peter. And verse 34, if you, if you don't mind to mark in your Bible or whatever, you should mark that verse. Verse 34, then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what's right. God does not play favorites. That's the bottom line. And so, Peter preaches this sermon, much like he preached on the day of Pentecost to the Jewish nation. And lo and behold, the people in Cornelius' household begin to speak in other languages just like they did at Pentecost. 
another notion for Peter that this is out of the ordinary. This must be from God. And so his only conclusion is these people are not just outsiders. God wants them into the family. And it says they were all baptized and joined the family of God that very day. So we have this marvelous story of two different kinds of lives being intersected because God brings them together and they were obedient. A real mark of spiritual maturity is how we treat someone who is not like us. And Peter had that opportunity. And for once, he figured it out. The good news of Jesus is that God is not against us. He is for us. And so that should make us as followers of Jesus really be more loving and more grace-filled, not less. So we always hear that Jesus was full of grace and truth. Remember, and it goes together, I think, purposely, grace and truth. Because he didn't just stand on a corner and yell at him in a bullhorn, I got everything right and you're wrong. He started with a grace-filled kind of approach. But the tension between grace and truth always exists as we try to approach people who are different from us because we don't exactly know what to do. But in the middle of that, the, the tension between grace and truth is love. The kind of love that Jesus expresses. And that's where we meet people first. We meet them with a posture of love. So, what does this mean for us today? Well, the first one I already mentioned at the beginning. Since all people matter to God, they ought to matter to you. This matters to us because Christians today, especially in America, are being painted as unloving, hypocritical, and all those other things that you see. It's not true, but that's the way Christians are being painted. And unfortunately, some Christians certainly have a balance of grace and truth that's out of whack with love in the center not really being very evident. The problem is, despite being the receivers of grace, we're not very good at giving it. Not good at all. Bob Goff said, grace doesn't seem fair until you need it. They need it. We need it. There are no insiders and outsiders. You know, in, in this series of neighbor being neighbors and love your neighbors, every application, every what do we do next kind of a thing is almost the same in every story. Reach out to people, make space for them, accept them, love them, do kind things. And that may seem boring at once, but you know what? It's kind of comforting because it seems like when God's people really get it, their lives are transformed into a kind of person that they weren't before. They become like Jesus. So rather than being boring in its repetition, it should help you to say, man, am I doing that? Or am I still like some of those folks who close the curtain? Am I afraid to open the curtain and walk out and say, you know, I, I, I love, I want the best for you no matter what that's that's the thing remember who you are secondly all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God the only difference between us and anybody else is the fact that we have discovered the love of Jesus and are walking and are trying at least to walk his way and we're not always doing a very good job. You know what? How many times have you given yourself some grace for, for slipping up? But you look at a person far from God and you wouldn't give them the time of day. 
we're not that much different. Now, let me pick an aside real quick here about people who, who uh, maybe are not Christians or are not sure. Here's the thing that they don't see or they, they, they would say to you, I'm a good person. Cornelius was a good person. Apparently, he needed more because God came to him and said, you need to talk to Peter. There's more than just being good. But when they hear this sentence, now don't, follow me all the way so you won't say I'm a heretic. When, when they hear the sentence, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, you know what they'll say? I'm not a sinner. I'm good. I do good things. I don't kick dogs. I let ladies across the street. I may even give to my charity. They would say they're good people. You know what they're thinking? I know this because I've had conversations with people far from God. They see all have sinned, meaning I'm an evil person. I'm not a Saddam Hussein. I'm not Hitler. I'm not a serial killer. So I'm a good person. I'm not a sinner. It's only when you understand that when that word is used, it doesn't mean you're evil. It simply means that you have missed the kind of life that God has in store for you, that he has designed for you to live. It literally means I've missed the mark. I've missed the target. All of us miss the target. If you didn't miss the target last week, you need to be up here talking. Every one of us, even if it's not overtly in our hearts, in the darkest parts of ourselves, know we have missed the mark. The only difference is we have landed between grace and truth and settled in the love of Jesus and are doing our best to move forward. So, you cannot treat folks who are different from you as people that you need to close the curtain on because God never gives up on them. You know, we're called to be ambassadors now. You know what ambassadors do? They build bridges. They don't blow them up. But so many folks look at us as people who blow the bridge up, who would really literally like to put the sign up there that says, if you're not one of us, you are not welcome. Uh, This story informs us that that's not the way God sees things. It's not our job to do anything but love on people wherever they are because we are there too. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So what do we do? Well, we've, we've heard all these things. Listen, learn about folks and love. You see, Stephen Covey years ago said, seek first to understand and then to be understood. We do a lot more talking than we do listening. And many people just need to share their heartaches and their hurts. They need friends. Uh, We've been talking about one life here for about a year. The idea of developing a friendship with someone far from God and, and seeing what happens. This is the very essence of the one life idea, which is develop friendships, discover their story, and discern what you do next. And in the story of Peter and Cornelius, that's exactly what happened. The only problem was Peter's circle was so small, he couldn't have a friendship with somebody outside his circle. So what did God do? He shook him up with a vision to say, walk out of your circle, open the gate, open the curtain, and walk out into the world and find people to love on, no matter how hard it is. And it had to be hard for Peter, and we know it's hard because later, Peter even has trouble. Even now that he knows this, he still has trouble relating to people different from him. But that's another sermon. He discovered the story of Cornelius and he came to the conclusion that God must be in this. I cannot exclude. I have to include. Let's baptize him like we baptize everybody else. Let's 
welcome them into the family. And that's what happened. They were welcomed into that family. And it changed history. Because if it wasn't for this event, what would happen? We wouldn't be here. We're the outsiders. If this hadn't opened up to the whole world, Christianity would be a very small sect of Messianic Jewish people. But yet it's opened to us. And so who are we to keep it to ourselves? So the story of Acts 10, I learned in Sunday school. Even back when they had the little flannel graph things, here's a Peter and here's Cornelius and here's the dream. You know, I learned all that. But you know what the story was? They taught the theme of the story. The theme was the conversion of Cornelius. That's what I learned. Guess what? This is as much a story of the conversion of Peter than it is Cornelius. In fact, Peter had a farther distance to travel than Cornelius. Cornelius was always already spiritually walking towards God. He had questions. He wanted to know what to do. Peter didn't want to have anything to do with those folks. It took a lot more for Peter to be converted than it did Cornelius. Maybe that's who we are today. If you are like Cornelius, some of you here are like that. You're still searching. You're not sure this is, this is, um, this is for you. Perhaps you should start praying, you know, God, show yourself to me. I'm open, just like Cornelius. Just show yourself to me, and I'll, and I'll, I'll try to follow. Now, you know how God shows himself to folks today? Through us. If we're willing. If we're like Jesus. But too often, we close the gates and scare people off. If you're like Peter... You need, to, you need to start praying, God, show me how to and who to love today. Who are not, people are not like me. You know, you don't have to agree with everything that everybody in, in the outside world thinks because I bet you don't, well, I better not say this. I was going to say if you're married, you surely don't agree with everything your spouse says or does. You might keep it secret, but you probably don't. I mean, we can't agree on everything, but we can agree. We can intersect in the love of Jesus. That's the starting place. Who do you believe Jesus is? We can work from there. And that's where we start. So if you're like Peter, start saying, God, who do you want to show me today that needs love? And then watch what happens next. So one little story, and I'll be done. In Luke 14, Jesus tells this parable about a man a great master who wanted to invite people to his party. I don't know if you remember that story. It's not a very long one. It's in Luke 14. And Peter had to be there hearing the story, by the way. And what happens? He invites him to this grand party, and everybody he invites in his circle just basically gives excuses and says, we're not coming. What does the master do? He sends his servants out and says, look, go out to the edges of this community. Go out to the places where people are unloved and unwanted and underserved and bring them in. We're going to have a party anyway. And that's exactly what he does. And he says, all are welcome at this party. In fact, those people I first invited, they're not welcome anymore. It's a parable about the Jewish family not receiving people like them. It could also be a story about us. I don't want to be on the outside looking in. And in fact, in the story, it turns the tables. The people who thought they were insiders become outsiders because their unwillingness to love people, to love the master the way that he intended. So where are you today? 
Are you Peter or are you Cornelius or somewhere in between? Remember, God doesn't play favorites. There's always room for more. We are called to love people just like God did. And that's our challenge for the week. We're going to sing a song, God is so good. You know, that reminds me of the 70s. That's the 70s song, updated. And it's true. His goodness then should be expressed in our love for all in our community. Let's stand. Let's sing. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.